Good morning to each and every one of you. I want to address something that is not talked about too much in church circles. Some things that are pertinent to the world. And so I hope that while it may be more of a reminder to some of us, I'm hoping to those that possibly will be watching this message and sometimes future, that it would be important, a subject that could be considered greatly. I want to deal with one of our most important battles in our Christian life, our Christian walk, and in the world in which we live. Obviously, as we look around us, we realize that we live in a time of a great deal of problems, a great deal of perplexities, a great number of issues that affects us materially. And yet I'm not speaking about, per se, those problems. Even though the problem I want to speak about may be an intricate part of some of the problems of this world. I'm sure that when I introduce the topic of the subject, you could think of many uh, different problems that seriously affect our Christian walk, our Christian life those that we come into contact with. We sometimes fail to stop, to meditate, I think, and to consider. And actually, as you, we go along, you'll begin to realize that what I want to talk about even though it was not mentioned, per se, was still yet a number, a major portion of the problem of some of the things that was discussed in our Sabbath school class this morning. I'll be reading a portion of scripture in a little bit, but not relating to this, but I want to lead into the subject with this verse, Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And what I want to talk about has a part within that respect. But I'd like to ask you the question, what, if you could write down or speak out exactly this moment, at this moment, what would you consider the greatest trespass that occurs against another person. What is the greatest trespass that we see against another person? And where do we most likely commit the greatest trespass against a brother, a sister, a co-worker, 
It could be a neighbor or even a total stranger. That expands it a bit. This morning I want to consider the fact that our greatest and most likely the greatest defense is usually in the use of our tongue. Do you agree? In the use of our tongue. Our, the use of our tongue has been a battle from the very beginning of creation until the present age and, and the age to come until Jesus comes again. That greatest battle that I want to be talking about a little bit and analyzing deals with what I feel is an important battle that we must face, and that is the proper use of our tongue. We see the offenses within our society, within in our own family, maybe even among ourselves, our neighbors and friends and the world around us. I want to share with you before I take off into the message with, from James, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And also able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, and they obey us, and we turn again their whole body. When I read that text to many youngsters today, that probably don't correlate a whole lot with the analogy of putting bits in a horse's mouth. But being an old farm boy and of early age, Up until probably about 1953, most of our delicate crops that we dealt with on our farm was, it might have been, the field may have been plowed with a tractor, but the cultivation, even the planting, in many cases was drawn, done with horse-drawn equipment. And some of us, it's hard to remind if you never lived in those days, but when you harnessed up the team of horses, part of it was the bridle in it, a steel bit usually with a curl ring here on each side and a long leather strap that went back to the individual that was driving that team with pulling whatever instrument. And you would pull one or the other to guide and direct that horse. It gives us a better understanding. I know that there are people that 
obviously has been born in later years. That's a bygone error. So it sometimes doesn't make good sense. But anyway, horses was controlled with that bit and those lines. And that's the analogy being thrown out here. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's a graphic explanation to us to the effects that that little tongue can have. And I know it's an important battle that everyone And it's obviously even in the biblical characters throughout the scriptures that had issues at one time or another in the use of their tongue. So one of the man's most important battles I consider is taming the tongue. Now that may not be our that's certainly not all of our battles, and not of all of our concerns, but it's at the forefront. We are fully responsible for every word we speak. And you, I will be sharing a text of scripture that backs that up later on in the message. And God warns that we will never be able to tame our tongue. We can fight against it and we can control it to a large extent. But there's always, throughout the course of history, exceptions and times and many times uh, we can slip and say something that we do not mean in our heart at all that can be very, very hurtful to the hearer. And that's the reason I consider that an important issue. I'm going to be covering some basic instructions warnings and condemnation condemnation against us that we need to consider in our life's work our life's walk with God and I'm encouraging everyone whether they you be present or out somewhere out in radio or television lying somewhere else watching. Psalms 101, verse 5. Whosoever privately 
privily. Slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. So you can see the importance that I'm emphasizing this morning. We can slander with our tongue. And it's very much condemned in the scripture. In Proverbs 10 and 18, he that uttereth a slander is a fool. The latter part of the verse. Proverbs 11, 9. And hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor. Again, the first part of the verse. James 4 and 1, speak not evil one of another. 1 Peter 2 and verse 1, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrites and envies and all evil speakings. All of these is slanderous activities with the use of the tongue, whether it be in private or face-to-face -face or whatever, yet the speaker is condemned. So obviously, God is against the use, slanderous use of the tongue in all speech. Sometimes it's important to consider what is slander? We've read four, the basic parts of four texts. But as an afterthought, I went and looked. And this time I used Merriam-Webster's that was readily available on the internet. And the number one meaning for slander is to make a false spoken statement that causes people to have a bad opinion of someone. The number two definition of slander used as a noun was, had two sub-meanings. The utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another's reputation. False and deflammatory oral statement about a person. That's the background, modern meaning of what the word slander is and what it means. Another use of the tongue can be, that's used in scripture at least, is those that's involved in backbiting, or call it the scriptures uses backbiting. In Romans 1, 28 and 32, 28 through 32, and even as they did not like to reframe God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, malicious, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful of proud, boasters. 
inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without an unnatural covenant breakers, without natural affection, implicable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It's interesting to to go back and it names two things in this list of sinful acts that God is absolutely against in all cases. But it's interesting they notice whispers and backbiters. Now, it's open to your imagination some, to some extent without a little research what whispers is. But I can tell you for a fact that I've seen incidences within the church where somebody gets off in the corner and start whispering. They may not be saying anything bad, but the interpretation by someone else can be, what, what are they talking about? What are they, what are they saying about me? What's going on? That's part of it. And whispers also could be translated perhaps even maybe they would fall in the category of gospers. There's many other texts, the scriptures, and I'm not going down that lane this morning. But if you're taking notes, go ahead and look at Proverbs 16, 28. Romans 29. And then I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear, lest when I come, I should not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debaters, debates, envings, wrath, strives, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, and turmoils. Paul was concerned about going to Corinthian, to the Corinthian church, because that, he was fearful that this he would run into this. So obviously, it's been prevalent throughout the ages. Now I'm going to go ahead and, as the third thing in the list of, here of. Uh, Slander, backbiting, and gossip. In Proverbs, the 26th chapter, verse 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceases. So, obviously, if there's not somebody doing telling tales, things dies out. You know, in life, there's been incidents that you've walked upon individuals that's telling jokes or something that is not exactly what you would consider biblical 
And if you don't agree, it kind of turns the ire against you. And there's some steps that we will be looking at later just as a refresher. But anyway, as coals to the burning as coals are to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the uttermost parts of the belly. If somebody makes a an assumption and they tell something about something that they assume that you're doing or not doing that's false. It's very hurtful to be privy to that information if it comes to you. And it's just like a deep wound. And it's very difficult without much prayer and contemplation and of scriptures and so forth to ever trust those individuals again. So that's the destructive nature. Ecclesiastes verse chapter 10, verse 11. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment. And a blabber is no better. So that brings contemplation to a man that's ready to run off at the mouth and what he's saying may be true or may not be true. It may be just assumptions. It may be something that he has intellectually internalized and come to the belief that it is the case. It may not be. And then also we see in Psalm 52, and verse 2, in the tongue is the power of life and death. Also, you can jot down Proverbs 18, 21. And then go back and reread James 3, 6. In Psalms 50, 15 and verse 1 and 3, it says, The Lord who shall abide, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? These are questions to ask us that would, should cause us to realize the very, very sincerity that God is against us, that kind of an activity, and he's against the ones that does it. But who abide in the tabernacle? And he gives the answer in verse 3. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. So there's a reference that a backbiter, a gossiper, or whatever may not abide in the tabernacle. So having looked at several of these texts, and obviously there's many, many more. Many more. And it comes to the point that you have to make a decision. What one text you want to use and what you don't want to use. Now let's talk, uh, we've talked about a little bit about slander and its effects upon us. We've talked about texts that 
is directly opposed to those that use their tongue for such things as backbiting and gossiping. So we come to the conclusion that we must guard how and what we say with the use of our tongue. It is essential that we consider. I thought it would be interesting in years ago. I don't didn't record the resource, but anyway, I don't know whether it was an article or a book I read, but it come up with a number of what I call as Bible tongue tamers. And I want to share some of those with you this morning. Verses that should cause us to stop, think what we are saying, how we're saying it, whether it's true or not true or so on is indifferent, but how we say it. Because sometimes people can even interpret the, just the tone of voice and it don't ring true with them. So here's some tongue, tongue tamer verses. Proverbs 13, 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his, keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Oh, boy, that should stop us and cause us to think. Then we read in Matthew 12 and 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Oh, that should cause us to stop to think and attempt to tongue tame or control the use of the tongue and inappropriate activities. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace Unto the here. What better advice could you have? Don't speak evil of anyone. And you'll never be embarrassed. Whenever it's. Repeated and carried on. And nothing that you say. And even sometimes in the strictest of confidence, you can't rely on the fact that sooner or later, somewhere along the line, it's going to pop up. And let's not be embarrassed. Proverbs 15, 1. And also verse 4. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And then in verse 4 it says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. And a New Testament reference that should cause us to stop and think. We find in 1 Peter 3.10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him reframe his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. 
And one last one, the, the ones I picked up from the, that should cause us to stop and to think and to control the seriousness of that little tongue. Again, that's, we're going to look at text in James 1.26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Oh, unless we walk the walk and control that tongue, then our religion is vain. Finally, brethren, in bringing the message to a close, and I've still got a little bit more to say, but I want to close with letting, let us look at some positive things we can and should do to guard the use of our tongue. These are just simple little basic thoughts that we find in Scripture that guides us to tame the tongue. Number one is to dedicate our heart and our tongue. That's going a little bit further, but given our whole body, mind, and spirit, dedication to the Lord daily. Romans 12 and verse 1. When Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I've often said that that means that we don't do just what we think we've got to do to get by. But it's a reasonable service, and we have to give it all. Number two is to tune our heart with God's Spirit by daily reading of His Word and prayer. Word and prayer. Tune our hearts with God. Number three is to learn how to give words that will encourage, comfort, inspire, and edify. You remember, and I'm going to call your attention to the admonition in Hebrews 10. 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke one and provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the symbol of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. To exhort one another, to strengthen one another. Not talk about each other. Not to whisper about someone. But to exhort and to take consideration that what you say, what you may do, may result in saving, ultimately saving a life for the Lord. And commit to the purpose of giving a good report. And I'm only going to allude to it, but in following the Matthew 18, 
through 15 through 17 recommendations. And I've printed them out so that we could talk just a little bit about them. If someone trespasses, you don't talk about them. You don't whisper about them. You don't say anything bad about them. But according to Matthew, you go into that individual privately and alone and talk about the situation. But if it's serious enough and he doesn't hear you, then you're supposed to approach him with two or three witnesses. And if he won't listen to those three, then tell it into the church. And if you follow those principles, you're going to eliminate a lot of rhetoric, heartache, and ill-gained, perhaps bitter words that violates God's requirements. In thinking of that, I've jotted down some thoughts. What can we do? Rules of what can we do? If we're asked for a good report, or a bad report rather, either give a good one, if possible, that's one. Two, if required to give a bad report, first go to the individual and find out the real situation and perhaps receive a problem so that a good report may be given. Three, stop others from giving a bad report to you. I've I know I've read this in an article somewhere, and I've tried it, especially when I was working at the state. And you get all mixed of life and all kinds of corruption. And they work. Number three is to stop others from giving a, good, a bad report to you, which I mentioned. It's kind of in the form of question. Have you gone to the individual yet? Hmm. Somebody starts to say something about somebody. Have you gone to the individual first? Hmm. That usually ruins this conversation. Secondly, do you feel that I am responsible? Hmm. He wanted to just say some slander or gossip or whatever that may not be true. But how am I responsible? Third one, I would rather not hear. Just refuse to listen. The fourth one might be to remain silent if you have nothing good to say. Nothing good to say. And I wanted to share one other one, but we want to think what we say, what we do is important and to be truthful. There's lots of times that if we stand strong and faithful, God will help us. I want to leave you with one live Example, a 
an elderly lady approached me one time and said, Vernon, if you want to be ahead in the state, take whatever job they offer, the lowest paying, and work up. Well, I got an offer for after having worked for a construction company. And they weren't selling houses. They said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go by, by, go. And I could have felt bad, but the man cut his own son, actually two sons, along at the same time, so that kind of took the bitterness out of it. I got another job, and I thought, oh, well, we won't be hit here. There's always a need dealing with, it was an accounting position, but we were dealing with working with retarded individuals. But I got cut again. God blessed, I got an opportunity to go to the state. It was a low paying job. And I could not get promoted, simply because in those days, there was a hiring freeze with the state. And I know that there was a contention between divisions to hold their employees. They didn't even want us transferring from one division to another. But to make the long story short, I thought, well, they're not recognizing any of them, some of my back employment history and education, so I'll just go to H&R Block and take an income tax course. And maybe that'll enhance me to be able to move up to income tax and an audit. conflict of interest entered because our head happened to be a CPA that was a member of an agency. So, nope, we could not do accounting. I couldn't even help my own daughter do her income tax return by their ID. And that was universal for everybody. But I was always a gopher. We had three or four guys that had every excuse, bad backs and everything else. And they could never move anything. So I was the mover and almost the shaker. This lady come to me, division, deputy division director, and she says, and I had a hateful immediate supervisor. She comes back and walks over to the next row of desks, and there's nobody there, and pulled the chair over and sat down at my desk. And she gave me the hatefulest look. Well, what are they going on? She said, Vernon, we're opening an experimental office. We would like for you to come over because I know that you've had the income tax courses in college. You've had H&R Block in corn tax course and you couldn't use it. But we need somebody to go to this new office.
I said, there's one problem. I hear that this office you're opening is going to be open five and a half days. And I'm filling in as interim pastor, Sabbath morning. And so I won't get work on Saturdays. I'm straightforward and truthful with her. I'm telling you, I heard some whispering and perhaps some, even some slander from three or four or five other individuals. But she said, that won't be a problem. You won't never be required to work on Sabbath. And we had one gal that she tried to follow the biblical scriptures more than some that I see. And she slipped over to me one day and she said, why is it? You're never here Saturday morning. Why aren't you scheduled? And I had to tell her the truth, and I did. I was glad to tell her the truth, for that matter. But see, the, the point of it is, God helps us if we'll stand firm, if we'll guard our time, and be very careful to try not to either slander or actually you can come close, close to almost murdering a fellow Christian by hateful or sometimes even untruthful remarks. So it is an ongoing battle. Hang tough. And I hope that this has been just a review for you and that you will remember it is an important aspect required of us as a Christian in order to end into the kingdom. May the Lord bless.